Hello, and thanks for listening with us today. We are the Beach Church. We are real people trying to show real love from a real God. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and that you continue to stay with us. We are encouraged by everyone who listens. We hope that you are blessed today by everything that we talk about. See you guys. Take care. We appreciate you all for worshiping with us this morning, uh, and we appreciate uh, those of you who uh, have just brought food or just shown up today. Uh, it's a great, a great thing. We need. Uh, we always say we need people to to bring food. We need people to participate in eating the food, and so <clears throat> we appreciate all of you for your service um, today. But we're glad to be able to be together and to uh, just celebrate. Hi, Avery. Um. Just to be able to celebrate um, what God is doing in this house and to be able to uh, just celebrate each other. He's truly a wonderful God. And so after our service today, um, after we take communion, we're going to pray over those that are getting baptized. Uh, give them a chance to, to maybe share a few words if they, if they feel led to um, just about uh, what God is doing in their lives. And then um, <clears throat> we're going to pray over them, and then we're going to dismiss, and then we're going to go out into the front here, and we're going to um, have the baptism. And then after the baptism, uh, we'll have a meal that we'll share together. And so we'd love for you to stay uh, and hang out with us and celebrate with us uh, through this wonderful day together. And so uh, we started a, a series called Someone Has to Say It. Um, and so we finished that. Uh, we had a little bit of a break with Diana and Gigi speaking. Um, but I'm going to be starting a new series today. Um, that's going to be entitled uh, Out of Place, Out of Place. And so that's what we want to um, <clears throat> think about today. And so as we're getting our minds together with that, um, let's, uh, let's be thinking about um, just events that the Lord is <clears throat> giving us an opportunity to participate in. So I want to make a couple announcements to you before we do that. Um, we had breakfast and Bible study yesterday, so we appreciate everybody for uh, being a part of that. Uh, and for walking with us through that, for cooking and participating. Um, for those of you who have been with us throughout the today, we appreciate you for that. Uh, this week coming up, we have our regular daily Bible studies. We have our in-person Bible study Wednesday. Uh, we've got prayer Thursday with the men at 6 a.m. And then this Saturday, <clears throat> we have our ladies' victory group. And so we'd love for you to join us at 2.30 um, so we can connect together with our ladies here at the church uh, and so those are the events going on. We'd love for you to connect with us and join us in that. Um, and so as we get through the month of September, we're getting closer and closer to um, <clears throat> just the, the, the official holiday season. And so we don't want to lose place with that. Um, so let's pray this morning as we, um, as we just think about what God is doing in our hearts um, uh, this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be able to come together. But I just pray that as we prepare ourselves to receive today and to give thanks today, Lord, that you would guide and direct us always and everywhere, Lord, with your holy light, that you would continue to help us, Lord, to discern, Lord, and to recognize that your presence is among us, that you're here with us, God. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would continue to lead us and guide us, that you'd continue to allow us, Lord, as we partake today and give thanks that we would do so with an intentionality, Lord, that we are going to experience your divine mysteries today. That this visible sign of an invisible grace, Lord, that we are going to be able to celebrate today with baptism and communion, Lord, that you would continue to reveal that to us in a powerful way. And we thank you today for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. Aiden, if you want to throw that first slide up there, out of place is going to be the title of what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of a few weeks. We are planning on releasing healthy relationships this month, so uh, this this will kind of kind of dress up into uh, our release of healthy relationships. But we're going to talk about this for uh, a few weeks because we feel like it was fitting. The Lord kind of revealed this to us and spoke to our hearts about this, uh, and so we want to do this today. You guys know what the month it is today. What month it is today? September, right? September third, right? All right, so. Um, it's, it's, we're already in September, right? Some of you are already getting your Christmas decorations out and you're, 
already wrapping presents and ordering, ordering your Christmas cards because um, we're smelling the smell of fall, right? It's getting there. So might as well just skip over everything and, and, and celebrate Christmas. But September in and of itself is kind of out of place. And so we're going to use the month of September to try to connect to some potential feelings that we may have at times when we feel out of place, like things aren't happening the way that we think they should or things aren't working out the way that we thought they, they did or maybe even ourselves. We just feel like we're out of sync, out of place with what maybe God is doing. And so September is one of those months. And so, Aiden, if you want to go to the next slide here, do you guys know that the month of September means something, the name? Do you know what the name means? Seven. It's funny, right, that the name means Seven. But you know what day it is or what, what number it is on our calendar? Nine. That's confusing, right? Why would you name a month that means seven and put it in the ninth slot? That's confusing, right? Well, we've we got to blame Rome. We, we like blaming Rome as Protestants, right? We'll, 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 we'll blame Rome this morning because uh, they added two months to the Roman calendar. That kind of threw everything off. So when Julius Caesar, they named a month after him, call it July. And then they named a month after Augustus Caesar, call it August. They put those in between. So that moves September down. And so September means seven. It's ironic, though, because you know what October means? Eight. November? Nine. December? Ten. The whole calendar's messed up, right? And then they, and then they moved January and February um, in there, and so the whole thing just got convoluted. Um, but September means seven. So the month itself is out of place. So I thought, well, how fitting would it be for us to talk about the times in our lives where we kind of feel out of place because we're in the month that doesn't make sense. We're celebrating the seventh month of the year in the ninth month of the year. That is some common core education right there, right? So we thought it would be important for, for us to kind of take the number seven, though, uh, because in, the, in biblical numerology, uh, seven is a number of completeness, right? It, it recognizes a cycle, right? And so for the next few weeks, we're going to take each week and talk about seven things that we think are important for us to, to kind of view so that we can get ourselves back into alignment or get ourselves in the proper place for what God wants to do for us. And so being out of place is something that we often feel. And so uh, we believe that sometimes our experiences can cause us to feel out of place. And so today we want to look at Seven experiences that every believer goes through. Seven experiences that every believer goes through. Because these are things that maybe you haven't experienced yet, but if you walk with the Lord long enough, you will experience these things. And we have a, a way to, uh, to respond to it that the Bible reveals to us. And so uh, we have to, to be challenged and to, to humble ourselves before the word of the Lord in these moments. And so hopefully we can be encouraged today by the word of the Lord and we can be encouraged by our time together. And so... We want to start with reading uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. That's the, the verse that's going to inspire us today and kind of lead us into us thinking about this today. And so Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. And before we do that, can we just pray and ask the Lord to reveal his word to us today in a powerful way? Lord, we thank you today that you have given us your word and that you have caused all the scriptures to be written for our learning. And so, God, I pray that you would grant us to hear them today that you'd grant us to read them, to mark them, to learn them, Lord, and to inwardly digest them today so that as we walk through this life, Lord, by the patience and comfort of your holy word, we can continue to hold on, God, to the everlasting hope that we have in Christ. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. So Paul was writing to the believers uh, in the church in Philippi, and he, he, he told them uh, to rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says it again. Again, I say rejoice. Now, if you study the Bible, you know that any time... Uh, there's a repetition of words there. It means that it's, it's trying to add emphasis, right? The author is trying to add emphasis there. And so it's clear that the Apostle Paul is revealing here in this moment uh, that uh, he wants the church in Philippi to have a spirit of thankfulness, to be, to be able to rejoice and to always be in that mode. But experiences sometimes challenge our ability to rejoice, right? We all can agree with that. Sometimes circumstances and situations can at times challenge us in our ability to rejoice. And so we want to look at some of those experiences today and just offer you some examples in Scripture to try and, uh, and challenge uh, you. Everybody cool? You with me this morning? All right, very good. Let's go. And we're off. Number one, when you have a dream, all right, 
I have a dream. We all say it, right? Because th- those words are iconic when you think about, in our culture, um, with that, that, the speech that Dr. Martin Luther King uh, gave about I have a dream, right? Uh, and so the dreams are not just, when you think about the word dream, it's not just that you woke up one morning because, or one night because you had a dream, or you woke up the next morning and you remember this vivid, vivid dream. Dreams are also visions or things that are revealed to us. And so as believers, oftentimes we have found ourselves feeling like God is revealing something to us, that God has spoken something to us, that God has shown us something, and it's oftentimes something in the future that's going to happen, right? And so we got to pray through that. we got to process that. We have to make sure that we are kind of taking that in stride and not losing perspective in that moment, right? And so uh, the Bible reveals a moment where someone had a dream, and their dream uh, kind of had to take time to marinate, but it offended some people, right? So if we think about Joseph in the Bible, you guys remember Joseph? What's significant about Joseph in the Bible? We got a few Joes in the house this morning. Give it up for all the Joes in the house. Yeah, we love you guys in our hearts. Uh, So Joseph is famous for having his coat of many colors, right? And he was sold into slavery he was faithful, he was able to be used, uh, and God was able to cause him to save basically the world by his um, ability to interpret dreams, right? But it started out with him having a dream, and in that dream, he, he, he dreamt that his brothers were going to come and bow before him, his father and everybody were going to come and bow before him, and he had a responsibility in that moment um, to understand how to handle that, right? And it's clear that when he first had that dream, he didn't necessarily handle it the right way. So he came to his brothers, and he was excited, but he wasn't sure how to, how to articulate it, right? Have you ever been there, right? You were so excited, but you didn't know how to say something. And so maybe in your excitement, you said maybe too much or didn't say it in the right way, and it wasn't received the way you thought it was going to be received, right? You were excited, but it came across a certain way, and things didn't go as planned. Well, that's how it worked with Joseph. He told his brothers... And he was young, right, younger than him. You know what? You're all going to bow to me. That's what God told me. Now you can imagine in, in, in that culture, in any culture, be like, what? Come again? What did you just say to me? You're saying God told you that we're all going to bow to you. Okay. Here's Joseph, the fancy one, right? He's going to, right? But then Joseph in his excitement doesn't even stop there. He goes to his, to his father and says, you're going to bow to me, right? Now, I know as a father, if my son came to me, right? We named Reagan uh, uh, after the, the, the kingly justice kind of thing, right? So he says, you know what, Dad? You named me after a king, so one day you're going to bow to me. I'm going to say, look here, boy. There's one king in this house, <laughs> and until I'm gone... Ain't nobody bound to you, right? So you can imagine that'd be logical, right, for, for a father to say, oh, my goodness, well, we should just bow to you then because you had this dream. So Joseph had to take what God showed him, and he had to kind of process that through the experiences of his life, but he had to, he had to do something in order to, to take what God showed him and get to the place where God wanted him to be. He had to be humble. He had to be humble. Now, depending on our English translations, you might be reading this, be humble. Some would say be humble. We're going to go with humble today, right? In, in, in the grand scheme of things, Joseph had to walk in humility even though he knew God was preparing him. He didn't know what God was preparing him for. He didn't know what God was leading him to do. <clears throat> but he went from having this dream about his brothers and everybody coming to bow before him to being sold into slavery, to being thrown into prison, and being forgotten and so when he got this dream and this vision, he was a, he was a young man, a teenager. But then it was, wasn't until he was in his mid-30s, mid to early 30s, before this actually came to pass. So you're talking many years of him having to trust God and recognize that God revealed something to him and just walking in humility. He was a faithful servant wherever God put him because he decided to walk in humility. But that took some time because the Bible actually says that It wasn't until Joseph got himself in chains that he started to kind of go, all right, well, maybe I need to really do what God's told me to do here. Not that he was running from the Lord, but sometimes if we don't handle what God is telling us the right way, uh, we have to kind of go through some experiences in order to get us to a place where God can do what he wants to do in our lives. Right? Because God will sometimes give you the vision 
but he hasn't yet prepared you to accomplish that. So then he's going to have to walk you through a time of preparation. And for many of us, we're like, oh, my goodness, right? God, you told me all the good stuff. Now i got to walk through this stuff? No, uh that's not part of the plan. I want, I want to have this, right? And so we got to have humility there, not just in, in who we are, but in understanding who's in charge there, right? And so Joseph was faithful. He waited for his opportunity, and God ministered to him. So when we have a dream, sometimes... God delays in accomplishing the dream. So God will give us a vision, but sometimes he delays in giving us the vision. So what do we do in that moment? Well, we, we know Joseph is an example that we talked about, but what about Abraham and Sarah? So you see Joseph, you see Abraham and Sarah, and all three of them are examples of God giving them a vision, God telling them something, but then it taking years for that to be accomplished. It took 25 years from the time that God told Abraham that he was going to have children, he was going to be the father of many nations, to when he actually became a father, like a father within the covenant. And so you see Joseph and you see Abraham and you see Sarah being examples of sometimes when God gives us a dream, he will also accompany that with some time because he wants to... To, to get us to the place where we need to be. So what do you do in those moments? <clears throat> what do you do in those moments when it seems like God has given you something, but it hasn't come to pass? Well, we can't take things into our own hands, and so we have to trust God and don't take it into our own hands. We have to trust God and not take it into our own hands. <clears throat> because if we do that, then we will see what God is doing in our lives. Click that next slide for me, Aiden, if you could. Let's, let's trust God and don't take it in our own hands. Now, Abraham and Sarah literally took it into their own hands. If you under, well, I said this in 9 o'clock service, but the camera's on, so i got to stay classy. The, if you read the, the, the actual language and what was going on in that moment with Abraham and Sarah uh, and, and Abraham conceiving a, a child through Hagar, uh, the process of that happening is uncomfortable to say the least um because i I, i'm i I, the teacher in me wants to tell you guys but i can't tell you guys we got to keep moving forward because it it changes everything right but these would say abraham and sarah literally decided that god was wasn't going to fulfill this promise right and so they took it into their own hands and he bore a son with hagar ishmael so we see a kind of a juxtaposition there between Joseph and Abraham and Sarah. Both had a vision, both had a dream, both had to walk in humility. One just faithfully trusted the Lord, even though in the beginning maybe said some things he shouldn't have said, but ultimately remained faithful. Then one tried to put things in place, and that is still to this day created a, a hardship and a headache. And so sometimes we need to just stop and trust God that what he said he was going to do, he will do. That's hard sometimes because in our desire to see things accomplished, we may start to do things and take it in our own hands. <clears throat> but how many have ever experienced this? Sometimes as believers, we experience when God doesn't answer our prayers. We've been praying and we've been believing. And we've been asking him to answer our prayers, but he doesn't answer our prayers. So that's the third one, when God doesn't answer our prayers. Now, we believe in the power of prayer. We believe that if there are those that are, that are sick, then we believe in praying for them. But we also know in the grand scheme of things that God doesn't work for us. And so there's nothing I'll be able to do ever to make God do what I want him to do. He does what he does for our good and for his glory. And because of our faith in him, he works in our lives according to his good pleasure to do what he desires to do for his glory. Now, healing in this life is something that we receive in the atonement. But more than anything, what the atonement did for us, if God never healed us here, God never touches us here, which we know that he can, and he does, but if he never did here, we know that one day there's going to come a time where all this pain is going to go away. And I think that's important for us to keep in mind because sometimes when we pray, we don't always pray with the full perspective of what God is trying to do. We pray with maybe our condition in mind or our circumstance in mind or our situation in mind. And not all the time, but sometimes we could get ourselves in a situation where we, we're kind of out of place because we thought God was going to do this for us, but he didn't. We thought God was going to answer this prayer for us, but he, but he didn't. And so 
what do we do in that moment? Right? We have a few examples of these situations, right? So Paul and David give us an example of how you can pray but not necessarily receive what you prayed, but still trust God in the midst of it. So Paul asked several times for God to remove the thorn in his flesh. Now this is a Hebrew of Hebrew. This is the person that wrote uh, the most epistles, the most books of the Bible. Pretty important person in the New Testament in, in terms of the new covenant faith being spread across the diaspora and all over the, the, the known world. But he consistently prayed for God to take this thorn in the flesh away from him. But he didn't do it. Now, many scholars believe it could have been a number of things, right? There could have been a spiritual hindrance that was on him. It could have been a physical condition. Some say his eyes. Many people say because of, uh, of the condition that he, that he had, that he have to <clears throat> always had a traveling physician in Luke with him. Some said it could have been just the, the, the wounds that he got uh, when he was literally bruised and beaten for his faith in Jesus. So there's a number of reasons or thoughts that could have connected to this thorn. But the, the reality is, is that the text says that he prayed multiple times for the Lord to remove it. And he didn't. Now what the text doesn't show us is that in that moment Paul said, God doesn't love me. He doesn't love me. If he loved me, he would have taken this away from me. I'm wasting my time devoting all this time to, to, to the kingdom of God because I prayed and he didn't answer my prayer. No, we don't see Paul doing that. What do we see Paul doing? Paul says, his grace is sufficient. He says, I am made strong when he is strong, right? Because he is strong through my weaknesses. So you see a commitment there to live for the Lord and to trust him. And that challenges our paradigm a little bit. You know, we may not have experienced a situation where we prayed for God to do something and he didn't do it. And, and what do we do in those moments? I think it matters how we view God. Think about David for a second. David had the affair, and the, the child was born, and the child didn't live. And David mourned over that child. He prayed for God to, to, to save the child, but the child did not live. And more than that, the child died before it was given a name and before it was circumcised. It died on the seventh day. You know, in, in, in Old Testament culture, the eighth day was the day that the child was circumcised. They were given a name, and they were considered to be in covenant relationship with the Lord. So to die on the seventh day meant the child didn't have a name and it wasn't circumcised and it would have been even a more grievous experience because what happened to this child? So what does David do? He mourns. But then it says he washes his face and he goes to the tabernacle to worship. What, what, a, what, a, what a concept to think about that that individuals that were dealing with hardship and pain and unanswered prayer decided the one place that they needed to go or the one thing they needed to do was to do the work of the Lord. To go where God called them to go and to be where only they knew God was. David was the one that wrote, you're enthroned where your people praise you. He knew where God was. And he prayed. And God didn't answer his prayer. And so he mourned that, that child, but then he washed his face and he got up and he went into the tabernacle to worship. He went to where God was. You see, that's the kind of depth to our relationship that we need to understand, that, that we serve a God who is sovereign. We serve a God who is sovereign, and we have to remember his sovereignty. If we are going to understand why God sometimes doesn't answer our prayers, we have to recognize that he is sovereign. And what does it mean that he's sovereign? That means that he is transcendent above creation, that he is all-knowing, he is all omnipresent, right? He is all-powerful. He's everywhere at all times. He transcends above creation. Creation doesn't produce him. He is the one that breathed the breath of life into everything. His energizing spirit is what gives us the ability to breathe in and out. In fact, if we breathe in and out, you can almost hear the name of God. If you ever try to... You literally are saying the name of the Lord when you breathe in and breathe out. Your energy, his energizing spirit is literally breathing the breath of life into you. We're bringing him in, and we are exhaling him. I mean, that's not craziness, guys. That's just the way our bodies were designed. So we know that he's sovereign. But that changes sometimes how we view life. Because it's not built on God giving us everything we need. 
It's built on us recognizing that he created us, that he's our sovereign Lord. And he deserves devotion because of that. And so in the same way that, that Job says the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, but blessed be the name of the Lord, right? Baruch Hashem, the, the same reality we need to have in our lives. And no matter what happens, we ought to be able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? That's what it means in recognizing his sovereignty, that we, uh, we don't have it all figured out. We don't have it all figured out. That we don't know why things happen sometimes. But we were never meant to know all that stuff. We are, we are meant to put our faith in him because he's our creator and he's our sovereign king. And his sovereignty matters. Do you know, we've shared this before, but when the prophet Jeremiah was ministering to the people of Judah prior to their uh, captivity in Babylon, do you know not a single person put their faith in God during his time of prophesying? Can you imagine that? Every day, he was pleading with God. He was pleading with the people. Every single day, he was saying, turn from your wicked ways. The Lord is sovereign, and he deserves your devotion. He's the one that has brought you to this place. But if you reject him, and you continue to reject him, judgment is coming. He will pull back his spirit from you, and you will deal with the consequences of, of, of living for those other gods. And so then all these other prophets started to rise up that were more influential and had more, more of, a, of a following because they were saying what the people wanted to say, and they were saying, don't believe Jeremiah. He's crazy. That's not what God is saying. God is saying this, and they began to say things that, that almost you know, appealed to the people, and so they, they rejected him. Not a single person turned and believed. Can you imagine that? And then to, to, to top it off, the Lord wouldn't even let Jeremiah get married. Because the Lord wanted him to experience what it would be like to be separate from, from his people. He was alone. Man, that, you may think, well, that sounds mean. Why would God do that? If you understand the context of what God was trying to do, he was more than gracious to Judah. And he was more than gracious to Jeremiah. We should never stand in judgment of the creator of heaven and earth. We should never stand and go, why did you do that? Like we are an authority. If anything, our posture should always be, you are the sovereign king of the universe. And whatever state I'm in, whatever situation I find myself in, I will do what you tell me to do. So that's what happens when he doesn't answer his prayer. But, but what happens when he does answer your prayers? Right, because God answers our prayers all the time. Every single one of us are in here because the Lord has done something miraculous in our lives. And so not a single one of us can stand up here or, or have any confidence in saying, God never does anything for me. That's ignorant. Right? That's not ignorant. That's ignorant. Right? God does something for us all the time. And if we don't see that, then we're missing out on what God has told us to do. I was, don't want to put him on the spot, but you guys know that Aiden has been dealing with some mobility issues with his leg, right? So I was talking to Aiden the other week, and Aiden said that he's so thankful to just be able to do something as simple as going out and taking a walk that he says when he gets the strength back in his legs, he's just going to go walk, right? And I'm, I can imagine him going out with that new perspective, being being enamored by things that he probably never would have been enamored by because his whole perspective changed, right? And so some of us sometimes just need a little perspective to change when we think about what God has done for us. God does so much for us. And we got to be careful that we don't forget his goodness while he is pouring it out in us, on us in visible ways because sometimes he will put us through times of trial and times of testing. And we got to remember that he's the same God when, the, when, there's, when there's plenty of grain in the storehouse, or he's the same guy when there's famine. We still have to fix our eyes on him, right? And so when he does answer our prayers, we need to recognize what he is doing in that moment. So let's look at some of the Old Testament kings and Israel and Judah. Let's go to that next slide, Aiden. In thinking about the Old Testament kings and those in Israel and Judah, one thing is for sure. God blessed them, and God poured out his hand of blessing on them. It was clear that all the nations were being drawn to this place to see the temple, to see God's blessing, see God's hand on them. But when things were going great, 
what we saw normally is they began to take their eye off the Lord. And things were going great. Everything was perfect. Right? But then they began to get out of place. They began to, 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 to fix their eyes on the other gods and the other nations. And, and it's a cyclical thing that would happen to them. They would reject the Lord. They'd turn. They'd live for the other gods. They'd build temples to the other gods. And then they'd find themselves in trouble and hardship. And then what would happen when they were in trouble and hardship? They'd call on the Lord. He'd come and he'd rescue them. They'd commit to live for him. And then he would bless them for years. And then they would go back and turn away from him again. We see that playing out all throughout the situation. And so what does that teach us? What can we learn from the Old Testament kings and from God's people in the Old Testament? What can we learn from them? We can learn that we ought to seek him for who he is and not just for what he does. You see, had they realized that the greatest privilege and joy that they ever had, right? It was the moment when God told Samuel, they didn't reject you, Samuel. When they called for a king, they rejected me. They had a king. They didn't want me. They wanted a man to be in place of that. So I know you're feeling a certain way, Samuel, because you feel like they rejected you as the last judge and the high priest. They didn't reject you. They rejected me. And that was actually part of Samuel's coronation speech for Saul. <laughs> you guys didn't want the Lord as your king, so we're going to give you this prince. Right? That's what it says there. Even though our English translation says king, it's actually nasi. It means prince. Melech is king, right? So there's a distinction there. And so if you know the language, it'll tell you that even though he was, had the nomenclature of king, he wasn't really the king. <laughs> Israel still had a king, and it was the most high, even though they tried to act like they were going to be like the other nations. But eventually what happens is if they continue to do that, the Lord says, all right, you want to be like the other nations, I'll give you what the other nations get. And so he pulls back his hand of protection. And we looked at the map yesterday during Bible study. There isn't a lot around Israel other than other nations that want to destroy them. <laughs> so it stands to reason that when God says things like, I'm the only reason why you're even here today, we should believe it. Because if you look at the geography, there's no way they would have been able to compete with these other nations. But they did time and time again until they got their eyes off the Lord. And so here's a truth that we see. And we need to recognize this in our lives because I think this is where we can draw application from this story today. If the only time we seek God is when we're in trouble or when we need something, do you know what God will probably do in your life? He will probably keep you in a situation where you're always in trouble and are always in need. Because you know what? More than anything, He wants to be with you. But if you only talk to Him when you're in trouble, when you're in crisis, He will probably keep you in crisis. Because he wants you to spend time with him. So we got to break that cycle. Because when God answers our prayers, we shouldn't go, okay, thanks. Right? No, we need to cling to him like a beloved would cling to their beloved walking out of the wilderness. Right? That, the imagery that we see there in the Song of Songs. We can't just use God to, to give us what we want and then act like he still doesn't deserve our devotion. Because if you want to go into a deeper relationship with the Lord, if you want to walk in depth and victory, then we have to, to seek him for who he is, not for what he does. He's our sovereign king. He's the ruler of heaven and earth. And he deserves all of our praise and all of our adoration, regardless of what goes on, right? <clears throat> because there are bad things that happen, right? Because God answers our prayers, but sometimes in life we experience loss. So number five, when you experience loss, there are, there's, those are difficult things to, to endure. And, and if you live long enough, everybody experiences loss. And it stinks. It's horrible. But every one of us go through it at, at some point. I think about Jesus' disciples during the crucifixion. And how, from their perspective, they saw their teacher, their rabbi, their Lord, who had the very words of life, nailed to a cross, dying for them. His disciples had to go through a lot of emotional 
and spiritual torment in that moment. They had to battle thoughts of, for three and a half years we walked with you and we, and we believed that you were going to bring the kingdom of God. And you talked about all these things, but it didn't happen. And now you're nailed on a cross, and we feel like we're going to be the next ones. So we got to get out of here. And that's what you saw with his disciples. They scattered, right? They scattered. Much like you would see someone scatter or see, you know, if you walk into an abandoned place uh, that has, doesn't have a lot of activity, there's usually some <clears throat> unwanted guests that will come in, right? Right? And you name it what they are, right? It could be, could be roaches. We call them water bugs. Um, it's classier. <laughs> um, could, be, could be field mice. Could be R-O-U-S's, rats of unusual size, right? Whatever it is, there are things that, that come in in the darkness and come in when things aren't moving around. There's no life. And you, as soon as you turn that light on, what do you see? Right? They're going to find a place to hide. His disciples did the same thing, right? When Jesus was on the cross, they were like, we got to get out of here. Right? They were afraid. And they gave up on all the things that Jesus taught them. In fact, the last three chapters leading up to his crucifixion, if you read that, Jesus was, was laying it down like you guys have got to know that this is coming. Right? In this world, you're going to have affliction, he said. He said that leading up to his crucifixion. But take heart, I've overcome the world. You're going to have hardship. You're going to experience loss. You're gonna, things are going to happen that you wish wouldn't happen. But you've got to hold on because I've overcome the world. So what do we do in that moment? We have to build our lives on the word and not on feelings or experiences. We started out the, the series on someone has to say it, that our feelings never supersede what's written. And for the disciples, they had to recognize that even though their eyes were showing them that Jesus was nailed to the cross, he had told them with his words that, the, that this was not going to overcome them, that he was going to give them everything they needed for, for success and what, even if it meant them dying in this life, that he had overcome the world. And so they had a hope of eternity. Now, it wasn't until the Spirit came into their lives and empowered them to walk with boldness that we really began to see them live out that. But there were some dark moments when they started to feel like they were alone and they had lost something that was precious to them. And that happens in life. Life is full of pain. Life is full of loss, suffering. That's what makes it so precious and what's, what's what makes it so valuable. But in this life, not only do we experience loss, but sometimes people hurt us too. Sometimes people hurt us. You ever been hurt by someone? I know many of us have. So when others hurt us, it causes us at times to react in certain ways. So we've got the perspective of the disciples looking at Jesus, Right? Now let's think about Jesus on the cross, what Jesus was looking at, right? We saw the disciples looking at him and all those dealing with the loss. Now Jesus is on the other side dealing with the people that have literally put him on the cross. And what does Jesus say in that moment? Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Think about this. Jesus literally died on the cross for the people that sent him there. He literally died on the cross for the people whose sin, whose lifestyle put him there. So let's break down what Jesus is saying there. Jesus isn't just saying, Lord, they didn't know any better. Jesus is saying, Father, let my sacrifice, let my body, let my blood make an atonement for them because they are blind in their sins. He was literally putting himself as the door, as the mediary that he has described that in that moment when he's saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. People who are in sin all have the same problem. What's one thing about sinners that we can always expect them to do? Sin. Sinners going to sin. That's what they do, Right? And so the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us 
in a moment of darkness when we ourselves, all of humanity, rejected and had no way of coming to the Father, but Jesus in his love for us laid down his life for us. He says, no one takes it from me. I lay it down. I can pick it back up again. But because I know that you need redemption and you need a Savior, I came so that you would have life and life more abundantly. And so that's a reality. So we see the actions of what somebody does when others hurt them. Jesus prayed for them. But what else can we look at? When people hurt us, when people say things to us and do things to us, we need to see them like God sees them. That can be hard because we see with our own eyes. We see with, with our own expectations, our own life experiences, and we have all these opinions about situations because of those experiences. But the reality is, if we are to be people who walk in the kingdom and walk in a way that would bring God glory and honor, then we need to be the kind of people that are willing to uh, let God kind of open our eyes to see people as we see, as God sees them. Not as we see them, but as God sees them. That can be challenging at times, right? But I think that's the evidence for us when people hurt us. We need to recognize that sometimes um, they're doing so out of a place of blindness, a place of ignorance, a place of uh, brokenness. And as hard as it would be sometimes, we need to pray that God will give us the eyes to see them as he sees them in those moments. Because we are also on the other foot sometimes. So we experience hurt from others, but lastly, we can also experience forgiveness. If you've ever hurt somebody or been someone who has not been the best example, you've fallen short, you've failed many times, the fact that we could experience forgiveness from somebody else just changes everything for us. That There's still hope for me even though I've made so many mistakes. I've fallen short so many times. There's still hope for me. That, that blows my mind. Let's think about Peter's denial. right? Prior to Peter standing up and preaching and 3,000 people coming to the Lord on the day of Pentecost, uh, Peter did some squirrely things. He tried to stop Jesus from dying on the cross, and Jesus had to say, get thee behind me, Satan. He cut a man's ear off, right? Jesus put it back on and said, hey, man, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And then once all that's said and done, he's sitting around a campfire, and people start to realize who he is because, I mean, Jesus has literally been evangelizing and creating such an uproar that they're in this situation where people are trying to crucify him. And so they recognize who he is, and Peter is so upset and so afraid that he starts to curse people out around the campfire that he isn't one of Jesus' disciples. And that's what Jesus told him he was going to do, right? He said, you're going to do this. Peter said, Lord, everybody else will deny you. I'll never do it. But Peter's the one that did it. Can you imagine that if that happened in like our, our modern day and age, right? So, I mean, Peter sitting around a campfire or some sort of park, and people will start to recognize who he is, and he's in a kind of a, a crowd of people, and he starts to just go into this profane-laden tirade about how he is not one of Jesus' disciples. Can you imagine uh, the, the, the trending TikTok or, or reel that would come from that? Look at this. Look at this evangelist or, or, or pastor or teacher losing his mind on other people. This is why I don't go to church. Because all these people are nuts. And they're hypocrites. Right? So, I mean, you can imagine the shame that Peter felt. And so what does he do? He walks away, right? He goes back to what he, what he knew. He went back to fishing. But what does Jesus do? Jesus goes to Peter. He goes to Peter, and he offers him a chance to come back. Peter didn't deserve forgiveness. He had denied him. He had done everything that Jesus said he was going to do. And yet here was Jesus, risen, going, Peter, do you love me? 
than feed my sheep. And he had to have that back and forth with Peter to get him to realize that he was committed to him to live for him. It changes things. It changed things for Peter because he began to recognize that the Lord was moving in his life and that he could actually move in his life. So what's the challenge for us today? All of us have fallen short of God's moral standard. All of us have fallen short of times when God has put us on the path where we got ourselves out of place and now we're off track. We can't let shame keep us from coming to the Lord. We can't let shame keep us from doing what God's called us to do. Because one thing is true about the Lord. He is there with his arms open, ready to receive us. He didn't save us and redeem us because we could earn it. He saved and redeemed us because he loved us. That's the scandal of the gospel, that he chose a particular people to, to, in a particular place for a particular reason to make his name known in their lives, not because they deserved it. They were a nomadic group that nobody cared about. But he decided to place his name on them. And then he decided to send his son to die, not just for those whom were in covenant, but those who were going to believe. And to all those who believed, he gave them the privilege to be called his children. None of that was deserved. All that was because of his amazing grace. And so we can't allow the failures in our lives to keep us from drawing closer to them. We need to be like those who have shown us the example that when things were difficult, when you experience loss, when you fail, when you fall short, that you, you draw closer to him. Because he's the only answer, the only hope that we have. And I hope that you understand that today and you can experience that today. Because I want to pray with you. I want to pray that the Lord will continue to reveal his truth in your life. And we're going to do a few things today as we get ready to close. We're going to take communion together. But then we're going to invite those that are getting baptized to come up. And we want to pray over them. That God would minister to them. And so we're going to... We're going to take some time and let God continue to open our eyes to see him today to reveal that truth in our lives and so would you bow your heads with me this morning hallelujah 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 thank you Lord thank you Lord Lord, we recognize today that you are sovereign. You know all things. All of our hearts, all of our thoughts, all of our desires are open to you, Lord. There are no secrets today. You know everything. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would continue to cleanse us, continue to open our eyes to see you, continue to reveal your truth to us today. Lord, you are the sovereign king of the universe. And so we thank you today that we can rejoice in you that we can come to you and we can make our petitions known to you, God. And so we confess to you today that we've missed the market times, Lord. We've allowed ourselves to get out of place, to get off track, Lord, to, to lose sight of what's most important. But Lord, you're giving us an opportunity to put things back into perspective. And that comes with us recognizing our need to commit ourselves to you. That you're our source, you're our strength. You're the reason why we exist you're the reason why we have life. And so we pray today that you'd forgive us, Lord, for the times that we've not loved you with our whole heart. And when we haven't loved those around us and been an example to those around us. But Lord, we thank you that in your great mercy you have promised to forgive all those who repent in the name of your Son and with a sincere, true faith. And so Lord, we thank you for that today. We thank you that you will pardon us, that you will deliver us, that you will confirm and strengthen us, Lord. If we would come to you and we would repent. So God, we thank you today that you love the world so much that you gave your only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. We thank you today, Lord, for that, for that grace. And we thank you, Lord, today that we have the opportunity to celebrate in the memorial of our redemption, to celebrate in this wonderful, blessed moment, God, in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, Lord, in offering you these gifts, Lord. 
We pray today that you would sanctify them by your word and by the Holy Spirit to be for us, Lord, your people, God, the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, and that you would sanctify us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit and with your word, God, that we may continue to receive this sacrament, God, continue to take this as a moment of coming down to your table, God, to be made one body with him, to be one in Christ, and to be one with Christ, that we are connected today through Christ. And we thank you that he has put all things under subjection and that we can walk with grace today because of it. And so with it, Lord, we recognize that we don't have any right to come down here, but we are bold to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we don't presume to come down to this table trusting in our own righteousness. None of us are worthy. We're not even worthy to take the crumbs that fall off your table, Lord. But you are gracious. You are abundant in great mercies. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to grant us the grace today to come down to your table and to partake of the cup of salvation and the bread of heaven to be one with you, God, and one with each other. We thank you, Lord, for these gifts, the gifts of God for the people of God. Lord, may we take them in remembrance of Jesus, that he died for us, and may we feed on him in our hearts with thanksgiving today. And Christ, may you be present today in the breaking of our bread, just like you were the night that you broke it with your disciples. May you minister to us today in all that's said and done. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Would you come today? Hey, thank you for watching today's podcast. We hope that you will continue to join us and subscribe. Remember, we're just real people trying to show real love from a real God. And everything that you do to help with that uh, brings glory to God. So thank you, guys. Take care.